Hello and welcome to Dream City Omaha. My name is Vince and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time, whether in person or online, please let us know by texting WELCOME to 402-383-1874. Now sit tight as service is about to begin. How's everybody doing today? Good. Staying warm. Those of you that are... Uh, that are at home right now drinking your, your coffee and cuddled underneath a blanket. Uh, good to see you and, and good to be with you as well. Those of you that are joining us, uh, many of you around the Omaha area, uh, the, the roads were not, uh, they were not the best, but they were not the worst, right? Like in Nebraska, we're, we're, we're used to, to driving in less than ideal conditions. I've driven on better roads, but I've also driven on worse roads. And, and many of you decided to stay home today, uh, play it safe. And that's totally, that's totally fine. Uh, it's good to be with you. Those of you outside of the Omaha area, we've got people in North Dakota joining us today, people from California and uh, Memphis, Tennessee joining us today. Can we put our hands together and welcome all of our online viewers today? It's, it's good to be with you. Renee didn't know, Pastor Renee didn't know that it was going to snow. I knew it was going to snow. I just didn't know it was going to snow that much. Like the last time I checked, they're like, maybe an inch. And I woke up this morning like, that's definitely maybe more than an inch. And then as I was shoveling my driveway before I left, I turned around and was like, there's another inch. <laughs> I just cleared off the inch you said we were going to get. So what is this leftover stuff? But it's good to see you. Thank you for, for those of you that decided to, to join us in person this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, it's good to be with you. We're going to continue our series entitled Rebuild. And we've been, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. We've been in Nehemiah chapter one, two weeks ago, and we saw how that Nehemiah was burdened when he heard that the walls were, were still torn down. We're, we're lying in ruin and rubble in the condition of those who had returned to Jerusalem. He was, he was burdened by that and his burden led him to a place of prayer. And so in chapter one, we see Nehemiah's burden and his prayer in response to the burden that God had given him. In chapter two, we talked about last week, how we need to be prepared when opportunity comes knocking. How that Nehemiah was ready when the opportunity presented himself because he didn't waste the waiting. There was four months from the time he was given the report until the time he addressed the king and asked to go back to rebuild the walls. So, so what did Nehemiah do during this four-month period that allowed him to be prepared for the moment when opportunity came knocking? And so that's kind of where we were last week. Today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3, and I've encouraged you to kind of read through Nehemiah, read ahead so that you'll have a, at least a, a, a general understanding of where we're going. If you read Nehemiah chapter three this week, and maybe you hadn't read chapter three before, it's one of those chapters that is very easy to like get three verses into and be like, forget this. <laughs> like it's, it's one of those chapters that you start reading and it's full of names that you can't pronounce. And when you can't pronounce a name, you just tend to skip over it. And when there's five names in two verses, you tend to skip over those verses. And when there's 80 names in, in 32 verses, you're like, I'm not even gonna read that chapter. Like, what do, what do I need to know about this gate and that gate and this person who's the son of this person and the grandson of this person? Like, there's so much in there that would cause us to just either skip over it quickly and, and just kind of, kind of choose to push that one to the side. Like, let's get on to the good stuff. Right? It's like in the movie, when the movie starts and you just like quick fast forward through because I don't want to see all this, like get to the action scene. That's kind of how we tend to read Nehemiah chapter three. But if we do that, there's so much that we have the potential to miss. There's really so much 
good stuff in this chapter that I didn't want to skip it. I thought, you know, maybe we just go right to chapter four, but God's like, no, we need to talk about chapter three because how many of you know all of God's word is inspired? I think every word that is written in his word is inspired of him. So there was a reason he inspired Nehemiah to write down these names and to write down these things and, and it's profitable for us today. It's useful for us today. So let's get into Nehemiah chapter three. We're gonna begin reading in verse number one. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't or you're watching online, the verses will be on the screens for you. Nehemiah chapter three, beginning in verse one, and I'm gonna struggle with some of these names, but I know you did too, so that's okay. It says that then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the tower of the hundred which they dedicated and the tower of Hananel. Now that's just one verse. And after verse number one, I'm ready to just say, okay, let's, let's move on. But when we look even at this verse, it's interesting, it's interesting that Nehemiah chose to start with the sheep gate. See, there were 10 gates around ancient Jerusalem where people would come in and people would leave the city, 10 different gates that all needed to be rebuilt because the entirety of the wall was torn down 150 years prior when the Babylonians, Babylonians took control. And so when we, when we look at the order of things in the book of Nehemiah, we looked the first week when we looked at Nehemiah 1, how that even before Nehemiah came, Zerubbabel and then Ezra came, and then that allowed Nehemiah to come. How that, that, that principle and that process started with reestablishing worship, reestablishing right living, and then Nehemiah could come in and reestablish society and reestablish culture. How it always has to start with God. Even when Nehemiah last week went to ask the king for lumber, he said, I'm gonna need wood to rebuild what? The gates around the temple. I'm gonna need wood to rebuild the, the gates around the city. And then I'm gonna need wood to build a house for myself. What's first? Not the house for myself, but it's God. I need to make sure that God's house is taken care of. And then other people's houses are taken care of. And then finally that my house is taken care of. There's this process that always begins with God. And so when Nehemiah sits down to write of the rebuilding process, he starts at the sheep gate. Now, why the sheep gate? Can anybody guess what was brought in and out of this gate? Sheep. Sheep, even even before Jesus, but sheep. At this time, in Nehemiah's time, it was sheep. Sheep were brought into the sheep gate. I know that that's a stretch, but, but that's, that's the purpose of that gate. There's another gate mentioned in Nehemiah chapter three called the dung gate. Anybody want to guess? No, I'm not. <laughs> but sheep were brought into the sheep gate. Any, any, any reason why they would need to bring sheep into the city through the sheep gate? Sacrifice for sacrifices to God. The very first gate that is mentioned and the very first builder that is mentioned is the sheep gate and the high priest. Why? Because yes, the entire city needs to be rebuilt, but let's make sure that we're prioritizing and we're, we're giving the, the first place, the first right to God and his worship. We need to make sure that this gate is right, that the priests are working on this gate so that we can continue offering sacrifices to our God. So he starts with the sheep gate. Verse two, let's continue. It says, people from the town of Jericho worked next to them and beyond them was Zachur, son of Imri. And the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. 
They laid the beam set up its doors and it starred its bolts and bars. Merimoth, son of Uriah and the grandson of Hekaz, repaired the next section of wall beside him where Meshalom, son of Berechiah and grandson of Meshezabel, and then Zadok, son of Banna, next were the people of Tekoa. Though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors, the old city gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. See how it would be easy to like, I'm not going to read any of this because I don't want to sound like an idiot. But listen, if I can do it, you can do it. They laid the beam, set up its doors, and it stalled its bolts and bars next to them were Melatiah from Gibeon, Jadon for, from Maranoth, people from Gibeon, the people of Mizpah, the headquarters of the governor of the province west of the Euphrates. Verse eight, next was Uziel, son of Harahiah, a goldsmith by trade who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. They left out a, a section of Jerusalem as they rebuilt the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, the leader of the half district of Jerusalem was next to them on the wall. Next, Jedediah, son of Haramaph, repaired the wall across from them, across, excuse me, across from his own house. And next to him was Hattush, son of Hashbaniah. Then came Malkijah, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Pahoth Moab, who repaired another section of the wall and the tower of ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, that's a great name, Halahesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. Look, this man and his daughters repaired the next section. And he was the leader of the other half of the district of Jerusalem. Now, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna torture you any further by causing us to read any more. But in those first 12 verses, you get the, the entire picture of chapter three. This person built this section of the wall. And next to him, this person built this section of the wall. And next to them, these people built this section of the wall. And for 32 verses, Nehemiah gives us an account of who was building where, who was doing what, what order they went in as he begins to describe and tell us around the city, from this gate and this tower to this gate and this tower to this part of the city, all the way back. And then in verse 32, he, he concludes it back at the sheep gate again. Chapter three shows us this process of rebuilding. In chapter one, Nehemiah was burdened. In chapter two, Nehemiah was, was ready when the opportunity came. And then in Nehemiah chapter three, he just got to work. For some of us, it's time for us to get to work. We've been burdened. We've been praying. But the question I want you to ask yourself today is what are you doing about it? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that over the next few moments, God, that you would speak through me God, that you would, you would anoint every word that goes forth. God, anoint not just the, the words, but anoint each of our ears, that we would, we would be hearers of your word that would lead us to be doers of your word. God, I pray for Pastor Angel today as she's preaching in Bellevue at Bellevue Christian and, and preaching about what, what it means to be a kingdom woman. God, I pray that you would anoint her this morning and that you would speak through her this morning, that you would encourage people through her this morning. And God, for those of us here, those of us watching online, I pray that, that every word that goes forth would be of you and from you and produce the fruit that you've intended it to produce in each and every one of our lives. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. As I was preparing this message and as I was reading Nehemiah chapter three, what it reminded me of was spring cleaning. How many of you guys have ever done spring cleaning around your house? How many of you guys like doing spring cleaning around your house? How many of you guys hate doing spring cleaning? All the guys are raising their hands right now. Like, no, I don't want to do any kind of spring cleaning. Now, listen, I just want to prepare you because spring is right around the corner. 
I know it doesn't feel like it when you look outside today, but Easter is only six weeks away. Right, crazy. Easter's only six weeks away. I came in wearing my pineapple shirt today because, you know, they, they, they say that you should dress for the job you want. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Like, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. I say dress for the weather you want. And so, so I think we all just need to start wearing shorts and t-shirts and just pray for spring to get here quickly. Um, but, but spring cleaning is one of those things that, that around the weasel house that it's a, it's a, yearly, it's a yearly thing. And everybody has their part to play. The kids, you're, they're, they're designated to, to their rooms and to their tasks. And they, you have to clean out your closet and you have to move your bed and you have to clean out everything that has accumulated under your bed for the last six months. And then John, you're cleaning out the garage and boys, when you're done with your rooms, you're gonna go help your dad clean out the garage. It's, it's this whole daily process of spring cleaning. And everybody's working, everybody has a job to do. And as I read Nehemiah chapter three, that's kind of what I see. I see this, this spring cleaning mentality and mindset where there's something that needs to be done and there's something for everybody to do. There's a part that everybody has to play in this thing. As I, as I look through it, as I read it, as I've studied it, as I've prayed about it, I, I really feel like there's three things. As I said, God, why Nehemiah three? Like, why can't we just skip over to four when when they have to defend themselves? Why can't we skip over to like the really juicy drama stuff that happens in the book of Nehemiah? Why do we have to pause here? I felt like God, God gave me three specific things that I want you to understand, but not just to understand in your head, but to understand in your heart. To not just to, to, to accumulate knowledge, but to apply to your lives and begin to live out. Three things that we need to understand. The first one is this, as I, as I read Nehemiah chapter three, we need to understand what qualifies us. You need to understand what qualifies you because each and every one of us is qualified. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've said. It doesn't matter the mistakes of your past. It doesn't, none of that matters. The Bible says that God has saved us and called us. If your faith is in Jesus, if Jesus has washed you in his blood, you need to understand that you have been saved and called for a purpose. And the only way you could be called for a purpose is if you're qualified for that call. So many of us try to disqualify ourselves. What's interesting is I read chapter three, we, we see priests who are mentioned by name and some of them are just referred to in groups. We see nobles, people who are rulers of different parts of the city. We see common folk. We see, we see goldsmiths. We see five different goldsmiths mentioned in chapter three. We see people who lived in Jerusalem, people who came from Jericho. So locals and, and those maybe not so local. We, we even see perfumers mentioned when it comes to, to rebuilding the wall, right? Look at, look at verse number eight. What did verse number eight say? We just read it a moment ago. Uziel, son of Harhiah, a goldsmith by trade, also worked on the wall. And next to him, this guy, I really like this guy, Hananiah. What did he do? He made smell goods. He made perfumes. Now listen, if I'm Nehemiah and I'm going and I'm inspecting the wall, and I see the condition of the city gates and I see the condition of the wall and I see the condition of the homes and, and the condition of society and where people are living and what's going on in their lives. The last person I'm thinking about recruiting to be a part of my team is Gary the perfumer. 
Right, like if, if I'm building a house, what do I do? I get on Facebook and I text my friends like, hey, I need a, a recommendation for a good contractor. Does anybody know a good contractor? Anybody know somebody with construction experience? I'm not, I'm not going to my friends and like, hey, what about Tim from the haberdashery? Like he would be able to help remodel my kitchen. Those are the last people that I would think to ask to be a part of my team. And yet when we read chapter three, we see goldsmiths, we see people making jewelry, we see, we see, we see a perfumer of all people, getting his hands dirty and rebuilding the wall. You know how many times we see construction workers mentioned in Nehemiah chapter three? Once, and that was in a supervisory role. Once we see even the word construction or the profession construction mentioned in Nehemiah chapter three. But we're told about priests, we're told about common folk, we're told about a guy and his daughters, we're, we're told about a perfumer and, and different people that really on the surface, you would look at them and they would not be qualified to, to add anything to the task at hand. And yet these are the people that Nehemiah and really God through Nehemiah chooses to use in the rebuilding of the walls. It's interesting because when I, when I think back on my life, I think back on all the times where I told God I was not qualified. God, I can't, I can't do that. I have no experience. God, I can't do that. I, I've messed up too much in my past. God, I, I can't do that. I have nothing to give people. God, I, I can't do that. I don't know where you're trying to disqualify yourself at this morning. I don't know what burden you have in your heart. I don't know what, what you see that, that causes you pain and causes you to, to mourn and to fast and to pray and to cry out to God. I don't know what you see in your life or in the world that is currently lying in ruins like the walls of Jerusalem where that's, that, that caused you to say, I wanna do something about that, but I don't have a degree in that area. I wanna do something about that, but I don't have any formal training in that area. I want to encourage you because it doesn't matter what your degree is in. It doesn't matter what formal training or what experience you've had. Those are not the things that qualify you to be used by God. When God needs something rebuilt, he doesn't ask for a construction worker. He asks for somebody who's after his own heart. When God needed a king, he didn't, he didn't look for anybody with experience. He searched the land for a man after his own heart. When, when God has something that needs to be rebuilt, there is only one question in that interview process. It's not what experience do you have? It's not what other jobs. It's not what references. It's simply this, when can you start? When can you start? Are you available? Are you making yourself available to be used by God or are you too busy disqualifying yourself? You see single moms with no support system. Well, I wanna do something, but I don't have experience in that. It doesn't matter what experience you have, are you available? I see kids aging out of the foster care system with, with, with no hope and no high school diploma and, and only 3%, only 3% of kids in foster care in Nebraska end up graduating college. Less than half leave foster care with a high school diploma. Do you hear things like that and it breaks your heart and you say, well, hopefully somebody does something about that. Or do you say, God, here I am, use me. When your heart is burdened by something, there's two responses. Either one, somebody better do something. Or two, here I am, God, let's do something. 
Are you making yourself available because you are qualified? You are qualified because God doesn't call, God, God doesn't call qualified people, but he qualifies those that he calls. So many times in scripture, we see it. Abraham wasn't qualified. Moses wasn't qualified. Joshua wasn't qualified. Jonah wasn't qualified. None of us, none of us, I'm not qualified. I've argued time and time with God. God, I can't lead a church. I'm not qualified. God, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. God, there's, there's nothing in me that, that causes me to think that by any stretch of the imagination that I would be able to do this. And God's like, it's not about you, stupid. Okay, God, thank you. Thank you for that vote of, of confidence. See, it's not about your experience. It's simply about your availability. Are you available to be used by God? We have to understand what qualifies us. The second thing that I want you to, to, to understand in this text is, is you need to recognize your importance. Now understand that I'm not saying this to cause you to have an inflated ego by, by any means. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to, to enlarge your head in any way. Yes, we need to live lives of humility, but what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. So it's not me lowering myself, but it's me elevating others. And so I can recognize my importance while at the same time recognizing the importance in you and elevating you rather than trying to keep you down. That's true humility. And as I, as I think about this text and as I think about each and every one of us, the, the reality is that we, most of us have a distorted view of ourselves, not in thinking too highly of ourselves, but in thinking too low of ourselves. As I talk with people, as I'm in relationship with people, as I have conversations with people, what the, the general sense that I get from people is not that there's a lot of Christians walking around like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But a lot of Christians that are walking around feeling like I'm unworthy, I'm unqualified, I'm unlovable, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm incapable, I don't have it, I don't have it in me. You need to recognize your importance. Paul is, is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and he's, he's writing to the church. Here's what, here's what he begins. He begins this thought and he says that, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. He starts this thought and, and he compares the body of Christ to a human body. He continues and, and he says, you know, no one part is more important than the other part, but each part is, is equally important. He says, the, the eye can't say to the hand that I don't need you. The head can't say to the foot that I don't need you but every part of the body has been put where it is and designed that way by God for a purpose. You need, you need every part of your body for your body to function the way that God intended, apparently except for an appendix because I don't have one of those and I think I'm doing okay. But other than your appendix, every part is important. He, he, he continues and he says, you know, if, if, if the ear says that, you know, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that make it less a part of the body? No. He says, you know, what, what kind of a body would it be if, if you had all, if it was just one eye? How would you smell anything? It's like, Paul, that's crazy. Like, how would, how, how would your body function if you didn't have all of these parts? And he concludes this thought in verse 27. And he says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. 
Not only do you need to understand what qualifies you, but you need to recognize the the importance that you have. What's interesting is that in Nehemiah chapter three, he names 50 specific individuals or specific groups of people in Nehemiah chapter three, mentioned by name. And as you read Nehemiah three, if you read it in the King James or the new King James, the phrase next to him or after him is mentioned 30 times in 32 verses. In 32 verses, 30 times Nehemiah says next to him or after him or next to them or after them. He says, this person worked here and next to him was this person and next to him was this person and next to him were these groups of people and next to them was this person. 30 different times next to him, after him, next to them, after them. He's, he's communicating that all of these people are working together, unified around a common task and a common goal. There is unity that comes with next to and after. Who are you working next to? Who is, who is after you? Because I would ask the question, as you read Nehemiah chapter three, which person in the building process was most important? It's really quiet in here. I don't know if it's as quiet online as it is in here. Which person was most important? None of them. They were all equally important. Why? Because if any part of the wall didn't get rebuilt, the entire city was vulnerable. So there was no one part of the wall that was more important than the other. There was no one part of the city that was more important than the other. There was was no group of builders that were more important than the other. But after, after and next to, they all worked together because they were all equally important. It reminds me of this old game we used to play. Some of you guys remember this. How many of you guys remember these? What are these called? Barrel of monkeys. You know how hard I had to search to find some barrel of monkeys? Apparently we don't play barrel of monkeys anymore. But as I read Nehemiah chapter three, I see Nehemiah and then I see Eliashib, the high priest. And then I see Gary, the perfumer. And then I see the, the haberdashery guy. And then I see the man with his daughters and they're all playing their part. And next to him was, was a group from Jericho. And next to them were the, the people from Tekoa. And, and next to them, and if I could get this monkey to join the other monkey. And next to them, and next to them. And 30 different times it says next to And after, and I would ask the question, which monkey is most important? They're all equally important because if one monkey falls, the entire chain breaks apart. It's like, okay, well, that's cool for for Nehemiah and that's cool for rebuilding the wall, but how does that apply to us today? Well, it applies this way because Pastor John is important. Pastor Andre is important, and the worship team is important, and the kids' ministers are important, and the longer this goes, the harder it gets. And those greeting at the front door are important, and the people outside shoveling so that you could get into church this morning were important, and the people who hold the doors open on Sundays are important. How many know the people working in the coffee shop so that you can get your coffee every morning? is important. They're all important. Every single one of us has a part to play in this thing next to and after, next to and after. Why? Because next to and after brings unity. 
And if we could understand that it's not about what you're doing versus what they're doing versus what he's doing versus what she's doing, but there is a part that God has designed you to play, not just just in this body, but in the greater body of Christ, the big C church, what part are you playing? What are you doing with what God has gifted you with? What are you doing with with what God has entrusted you with, with what he's put inside of you? What are you doing? Well, Pastor John, yeah, Pastor John's important, but you know who else is important? The kids workers. You know who else is important? The coffee shop. You know who else is important? The greeters. Well, no, that they're not as important as Pastor John. I, I would say more so. Because if it wasn't for all of them serving, then there would be nobody here for me to even preach to. Pastor John's important. Pastor Renee's important. Pastor Sri's important. You're important. There's something that God wants you to do. As I read Nehemiah chapter three, I see that. Not only do you, I'm trying to figure out what to do with this barrel of monkeys now. Not only do I see that, but what's interesting is if you read ahead in chapter four, you read ahead in chapter four, Nehemiah has this guy who follows him around the city and this man has a trumpet. Nehemiah tells the people, anytime you hear this trumpet sound, I want you to run to wherever you hear that trumpet because we need your help in that area. Whenever you hear the trumpet sound, if you hear the trumpet sound in that part of the city and you're working in this part of the city, run to where you hear the trumpet because we need you, because you are important. In the body of Christ, there are times where we blow the trumpet and we say, we need you. What part are you playing? We need you. We need you to work next to somebody. We need you to work after somebody. We need, we need unity in this area. Listen, this morning's no different. I was talking with Pastor Soraya this week and she said, you know, as, as people start coming back to church after COVID and more families are coming, we're having more kids in attendance and, and with more kids in attendance, we need more people to, to, to serve back in kids ministry. We need more people to be willing to, to teach and just to love on these kids on, on a weekend. And, and so we need more volunteers. We need people to come. And so I'm like, well, give me a trumpet and let me blow the trumpet. Because we need people in this area. And if you're here and, and you're not doing anything and you need to serve next to and after somebody, that would be a great place for you to start. What are you doing with what God has given you? It's not just about unity, but see, next to and after also brings accountability. Brings accountability. Because if somebody's sitting down on the job, the person next to you and after them says, get up. What are you doing? It's like doing a group project and I'm the only one doing the work. No, they shouldn't get an A. They didn't do anything. Has anybody ever been there? Isn't that the worst? I took the kids, I took the kids to an escape room one time. Listen, I love escape rooms, right? Escape rooms were made for me because my top five strengths, belief, accountability, arranger, deliberative, connectedness. Those rooms are built for all five of those. I'm able to arrange things. I know how everything is connected. I can deliberate and not just run in there all willy-nilly like some of you guys do. And so, so when I go into, I remember there's, there's one time we did like this group date night at this, this escape room and it was fine. Like it was, it was good. One couple went over here and they started working on that. One couple went over there. I think, Jim, you were there. Where's you? We, we kind of divvied it up amongst couples. And then as you, as you see these couples working together, then it was like, well, I'm just gonna go work with her. You work with him. Like we needed XO conference after this, this couple's date night. So maybe don't do it until you've gone to XO conference couples because you might need it afterwards. But I, I went, went and we, we got out, okay. And I went with a group of friends and we got out. I can tell you I'm four for four with getting out of escape rooms. 
I took the boys for their birthday, Jason's birthday. He said, dad, I want to do an escape room with me and my friends. I'm like, perfect. Great idea. I love those. We can, we can, we can kill it. We'll get out of there. No problem. So we go to this one. It's an alien one, like area 51 or something. We got to break into this secret lab or break out of this lab or something or another. Anyway, so, so I go in there and with my strengths, I'm like reading the instructions and assigning tasks. Like, Tavian, you need to go and do this. Jace, you need to go and do this. Jamari, you need to go and do this. Isaiah, you figure out what's going on over here. And they go, and it's like herding cats. And I'm there just watching them. And so we, we're trying to figure this thing out. And then we open the secret passageway. And in the secret passageway is like this alien laying in an incubator. We're not close to getting out of the room. We've got like 25 minutes left. And I'm trying to figure out what the code is in the periodic table of elements. And they're all in there poking at the alien. I'm like, listen, what are you guys doing? Get over here, figure out the code for this lock. They're in there like poking the alien in the eye, like knock it off. See, when I, when I, when I think about that, that's, that's what accountability is there for. That's what after them and next to them was important for. Because if somebody sat down on the job and was poking aliens in the eye, somebody next to them could say, get up. Stop doing that. What are, you, what are you doing? If there's nobody in your life working next to and after you, then when you fall down or when you sit down or when you get discouraged or when you, you pick up a spirit of offense or when there's bitterness in your life or unforgiveness in your life and God's wanting to do something, there's nobody next to you that says, hey, get up, get back to work. Now's not the time to sit down on the job. What part are you playing and what are you doing? Because you are important and you are needed. The third thing that I want us to see and I want us to understand, yes, we need to, to understand what qualifies us. We need to recognize that, that we are important. There's a part for us to play, but we need to start right where we're at. You need to start where you are. There's five verses in Nehemiah chapter three that as I read, I highlighted, I underlined, I looked at it and it's like, that's there for a reason. And here's the five verses. I'm gonna give them all five to you. Verse 10, Jedediah repaired the wall across from his own house. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired the section across from their house. And Azariah repaired the section across from his house. Continue, I think it's verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priest repaired the wall, each repairing the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok rebuilt the wall across from his own house. Mashalom built the wall across from where he lived. As I read these five verses, and you've seen it because we've just read those five in themselves, each of these people mentioned rebuilt the wall directly across from their own house. There are some from Jericho that came a long way to rebuild a section of the wall, but here are individuals that rebuilt a section of the wall directly across from where they lived. What stands out to me is that when these people woke up in the morning, when they got their coffee ready, when they opened up their newspaper, when they looked out their window, the very first thing that they saw each and every day was broken down walls. The first thing that they noticed when they walked outside of their door was what was lying in ruin and what was lying in rubble. In the despair of an entire people group and constant reminders of the shame that they were living in. Every day they would leave their house and literally have to step over physical pictures of their shame and failure every single day. 
Notice these people didn't walk out of their house and rebuild a section of wall on the other side of town. They didn't leave their, their, their house and say, well, well, I wanna go rebuild the sheep gate with the priests. Well, I wanna go rebuild this gate over here. Well, I know that there are some friends of mine that are working over here, so I'm gonna go work with them. No, these people rebuilt the wall that was directly across from their house. Well, what does that mean for me? It means this. Stop trying to rebuild somebody else's wall when there are things broken down in your life that need to be addressed first. Stop trying to rebuild society when there are walls of bitterness in your life. Stop trying to, to, to rebuild a broken political system and speak to that and we need to rebuild society and we need to rebuild culture. We need to, to do all of the things. We need to do all these things when there are things in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in your identity that God has been trying to restore and rebuild and address in your life, but you've been stepping over every single day. What are those things in your life that need to be rebuilt? Because these men built directly across from their house. What are the things that you need to give attention to? What are the things that God has been speaking to you about in your life? Well, I need to, I need to go across town because there's people that need my help. Well, yes, there are people that need your help, but until you help yourself, you will be no help to them. Until you restore some things in your heart and in your life, you can't restore anything over there. Rebuild what's right in front of you. Rebuild what's going on in your heart. Rebuild relationships in your life before you start trying to go and tell somebody else how to rebuild theirs. We've got a lot of people that wanna be construction supervisors. A lot of people wanna be those mentioned in verse number five that there are this group of construction supervisors that are going around making sure everybody's doing what they need to be doing, but, but 80 different people, 50 specific people mentioned by name are working side by side next to one another, many of them in their own neighborhoods, five of them right across from where they lived. It's not coincidence. It's not that Nehemiah was just like bored and was like, well, I guess I'll throw this in there again. The Holy Spirit inspired Nehemiah to write that. Why? Because he knew that we'd be sitting here 2,500 years later, many of us with things broken down in our hearts and in our lives that God is wanting to repair, that God is wanting to restore, that God is wanting to rebuild, that until we come to the place of saying, okay, God, I'm ready to do the work, nothing will ever be done. And until we rebuild it in our lives, we'll never see the wall rebuilt. It's interesting that these, these five people who worked outside their house, again, if they didn't build the wall outside their house, the city wall never would have been rebuilt. The safety and the security of the entire community wouldn't have been restored. Their honor would not have been restored in the eyes of their neighbors. Their society would have continued to lie in rubble. Why? Because they choose to ignore what God was wanting them to do right in their own front yard. Yes, there are problems that need to be fixed in our country. Yes, there are things in our society that need to be addressed. And we need people to be able to run to those parts of the wall and start rebuilding and start doing things. But until we've rebuilt here, 
we can never hope to rebuild there. Until we can look inside and say, God, is there anything in my life that you need me to address? We have no hope of addressing anything out there. We can stand and we can shout and we can look at how the walls are broken down. Yeah, you know why the walls are broken down? Because the section outside your house is broken down. Stop yelling at Gary the perfumer about the wall over there. Focus on your own wall. Focus on what God wants you to do and the part that you have to play in this. Amen? Stand with me this morning. We're going to pray and we're going to dismiss. I'm going to pray safety and protection over you as you drive and as you leave. And for those of you that haven't left your house yet, we have a service that begins in 45 minutes and you can join us for that. Next week, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter four. I would encourage you, highly encourage you, go home this week, read over Nehemiah chapter three again. Pray and ask God, God, is there anything in my life? Are there any walls in my heart? Is there anything that you're trying to rebuild and restore? What is in ruin in my life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, it's an addiction. Maybe, maybe it's a habit that you've picked up. God, what are those things in my life that are in ruin and in rubble that you are wanting to restore and bring revival to? God, what part do you want me to play? Maybe you need to leave the service and stop by the kids ministry table out there and talk to Pastor Soraya. Say, listen, I need to work next to somebody. I need to work after somebody. There's a part that I need to, to play in this and what God is wanting to do in this house and through this ministry. Maybe it's just taking time and spending it in God's presence and allowing God to speak, speak over you and, 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 and affirm you and show you that you are qualified. And it doesn't matter what's been been done. It doesn't matter what's been said. It doesn't matter what you say about yourself or what other people have said about you, but God looks at you. He says, you're important. Not only are you important, but you're qualified. Not only are you important and qualified, but you were created with a purpose. And there was something specific that I designed you for. And I need you to do your part in this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that that it would have been very easy for us to skip over Nehemiah chapter three with all the tongue twister names and relatives and parents and grandparents and perfumers and goldsmiths and all of, all of the things that are mentioned in Nehemiah chapter three, it would have been very easy for us to skip over and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not getting anything out of this. But Lord, I thank you that, that every word is inspired of you. That every word is God breathed and Holy Spirit inspired and is useful for us today. God, as we look into your word, I thank you that, that it doesn't matter what our resumes say. It doesn't matter what our life experiences say. All that matters is what you say. God, even as you were looking for a new king, it says that you searched for a man after your own heart and you found David. God, if you are looking for people after your heart today, may you find a group of people at Dream City Church. May you find men and women and young people who are after your own heart, who are burdened by things that, that burden your heart, who are grieved by things that grieve your heart and, and are ready to just to do our part. God, may, we, may you find those people here. Lord, may we start where we're at. May we start with us. May we not look to, to all of the problems across town and all the problems across our country and all the problems across the world, God. But may we look to the things first that you're wanting to 
rebuild and restore in our hearts and in our lives. God, we thank you that you are the God of restoration. God, that you are the God of reconstruction, that you are the God of rebuilding those broken things. Jesus, you said that, that you came to heal the brokenhearted, to restore. And I pray, God, for those that need restoration, that you would bring that. Those that need encouragement, that you would encourage. Those that need correction, bring correction. God, whatever we need today, may we find it in you. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do so wherever you may be. Just would ask that if that's you and you say, I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life, would you pray this prayer? Just repeat it after me. Church, would you help us to pray today? Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that you gave up your life so that I can find new life in you. And I pray that you would come into my heart, change me from the inside out, help me to live for you all the days for the rest of my life. I confess that I've messed up. I've done things and said things. Would you forgive me today? I place my faith in you today. My hope is in you today. And I wanna live for you today in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you, Lord. Thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Lord, for the first time, hundredth time, it doesn't matter. There are angels rejoicing in heaven right now because of their decision to live for you and to follow you. God, would you be not just the savior of our lives, but would you be the Lord of our lives? Lead us and guide us as we move from this place. Give us opportunities to be salt, to be light, to be accurate representations and reflections of you and your character. We love you. Keep us safe today as we travel. Be with us, just pray a hedge of protection upon everybody that's traveling today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Hey, listen, remember XO Conference. Don't forget to register. Also, uh, next week, Nehemiah chapter four. Go ahead and read that. It's gonna be good next week. I promise you. Love you guys. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.